This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down biblical topics, make scripture easy to understand, and to glorify God and His Word. We pray this content edifies, challenges, and blesses you. So without further ado, sit back and join us at the table. Good morning, everybody, or evening, whichever, however the sun finds you. Welcome to another episode of At The Table Podcast. I am uh, your host, Trey, with my two co-hosts, John and Creek. How is it going, brothers? Wonderful. Yeah, not too bad. It's five o'clock somewhere, right? Uh, yeah, although it seems like we're burning the wee hours of the dark. This time changes. It's for the birds. Congress doesn't have time to vote on it because of Ukraine. Uh, trying really? to figure out how many more billion dollars they're going to send over there. That's Are you the, telling the truth? Yeah, it's legit the truth. They're supposed to vote on taking it away. But mm. Shout out to Arizona, who just doesn't do it. They don't? No. What? I'm moving. That's all it took. Right? It, was a, <laughs> it was a fine straw resting on that camel's back, and that was it. Dude, low-key, someone was telling me, I think it was my wife, because she avidly hates the time change with all of her heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's because um, she's Indian. It may be. I don't know. But what I do know is she said that uh, on average, the heart attacks like experience a huge spike in the upward trend during the time change. Really? Yep. I know I saw a, an old Indian proverb that said, only a white man thinks you can cut two inches off the top of a blanket, sew it on the bottom of a blanket, and end up with a longer blanket. I thought, there's wisdom in that. I mean, to be fair to myself, I don't think that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't either. I, I detest it, mainly because I don't set alarms. I just wake up. It's just because I don't like sewing. And I, I wake up before the sun, and I go to sleep after the sun goes down. So to me, it's there. Really, the time change doesn't affect anything. Dude, speaking of sleeping after the sun went down. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to tell us, John? Oh, man. Did you have a long night? Dude. Sitting with the old man in a deer blind? <laughs> listening to him snore? Man, I know he listened to me snore, too. I think we actually woke each other up. Well, just remember, that's a good time to spend. I just got back from vacation, right? That's new in my world. I just got back from uh, Eureka Springs, uh, Arkansas, at the Lake Beaver. Caught a 20-pound striper. Let's go. Yo. Me and my buddy Wadley went out there, and we had a good time. Um, Friendly neighborhood redneck. Yeah. It was, a, it was a redneck vacation, dude. We were in a log cabin. This thing was open ceiling, was trusses, just beautiful, beautiful. And uh, I spent mornings in a hot tub watching mm-hmm. the sunrise with a cup of coffee, listening to worship music. So it was, like, beautiful. It was absolutely, Sounds awesome. It was awesome. And then... My loving family member, my cousin, decided to uh, shoot my target buck when I was on vacation. Honors keepers, losers. <laughs> 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 shout out to uh, shout out to Brandon Carter. Uh, he, that's, and that's what we call a good old fashioned case of 
Lost and found. Yeah, you lost <laughs> and I found. <laughs> it's it's like the old saying, mind over matter. Yeah. If you don't mind, it don't matter. It don't matter. <laughs> he got, but, uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to him. Congratulations to him. That was a beautiful deer. On a beautiful deer. Yep. Beautiful deer. It, there was this moment whenever it was happening. I was watching it unfold on camera. Uh, we have cell cameras. Hey, uh, we need a um, sponsorship tactic cam. But, uh, anyway... <laughs> we, I'm watching this all unfold on camera. It was like picture of a deer, picture of a deer, and this is my target buck. Picture of a deer, and then picture with no deer. My, he gone. My heart. We were sitting there too, like around this open fire, beautiful coffee table, eating the fish that we caught. Like you couldn't be higher. And then picture of no deer, and I'm my heart just like womp, womp, hit my womp, belly. Womp. <laughs> I texted Brandon. I said, "Where are you at?" <laughs> what state are you on? <laughs> so, no response. Then I uh, then I see a picture of him on camera with his gut hanging out in a flashlight. <laughs> I'm like, oh uh, no! And he said, "Well, maybe he missed." I'm like, "This brother don't miss." This is it's a. I finally get a text back that said, uh, "Sorry, buddy, big eight's down." He, he is the deer assassin. He don't miss, dude. No, he's, he's the James Bond of the whitetail world, man. Yeah, he's well, he's the best hunter that I know, anyway. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And he's got like the clean living luck side on things too. You know, like God kind of looks out for him. So you have other good hunters that, like our buddy Gage, like he's a good hunter too. But when he comes to Kansas, his brother has the worst luck. Mm. But Brandon gets the best of both worlds. <laughs> 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 It'd be hard to want a road trip with that guy. <laughs> Straight up, second second time in a row that he tagged out first. Second year in a row. Yeah, and on the three, probably the three biggest deer in the last several years that he's ever shot. God. Yeah. Anyway, that's how my uh, weekend went. It was good. I, I, All in all, it was wonderful. So Right on. There you go. Just for a little... Audio description. Three out of the four of us that are in this studio right now are in full camo. So, how do you know? Well, can't see me. That's why I assumed. <laughs> anyway, John, take us into our. Uh, what, what's at the old. table today, John? Well, speaking of hunting, we are continuing our Snake Crusher series where the chosen seed of Abraham is being hunted by the serpent. So the last episode we mentioned, well, I can't I can't say we. I mentioned that I thought this would probably be a two-part series, but I think it'll, or, or at least a two-part portion in the Prophets series, in the Exile series, uh, part of the Snake Crusher, but it'll probably be a few more than that. Um, there's just some really dense and rich stuff that I think uh, Climate-wise, just overall helps to contribute to a lot of what we would expect and understand out of Messiah. And, uh, yeah, so today we're going to continue in and finish up the life of Daniel while being introduced to a few other minor prophets in the Old Testament. So, without further ado, let's get it in. Yeah, so the last time we were together, uh, we were in Daniel chapter 2 talking about this vision or, or this dream that Nebuchadnezzar II has that has, you know, some sort of tie concept-wise. You know, it links your mind back to the Tower of Babel. We mentioned how, you know, the Tower of Babel obviously is in Babylon, you know, and it's got a, 
the Hebrew word for the top of this tower is a head, means head or top, that reaches to the heavens. And Daniel, after the exile, and, and part of this is interesting to think about too because of how um, when we were going through Numbers and Deuteronomy, we, we highlighted that God had already foretold the exile at the renewing of the covenant, right? So God had already, we, the Bible starts out with a story about two people that are gods. You know, God makes them, he places them in this garden, this land that is his, to be in right relationship with him. And it's this Edenic, beautiful place. And God tells them, you know, essentially two commands. One is a do, be fruitful, multiply, subdue, have dominion. And the second one is a do not. Don't eat of this fruit. And they do it. They rebel against God's command because the serpent co-ops them into doing it. And then they end up in exile. And we found ourselves with Abraham eastward out of Eden in exile in Genesis chapter 12 after sequences of rebellions, including, you know, Genesis chapter 11 being that Tower of Babel. So then when we found Abraham's seed and, you know, here they're brought into God's land and they're given a set of commandments and they're told, hey, if you live by these, it'll be well with you and you'll dwell in this land that I've given to you. They break God's commands and they also end up eastward in exile out of God's land in Babylon. So we find ourselves contextually in Babylon in this seed war. Um, In the last episode, we covered how Nebuchadnezzar II who's the king over the Babylonian empire, has this this dream um, that is given to him by Yahweh. Yahweh gives him this dream to tell him what will come to pass in the latter days. In the same way, we've, we've heard this latter days phrase purpose in the Torah and other places, oftentimes signaling to, to a messianic coming or a messianic age. In this way, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, God told him in the latter days, there's going to be a sequence of world empires, and then this stone that's cut without human hands is going to strike the foot, and the whole image will crumble. Yeah, and we talked about that that stone, you know, being cut without human hands, and when it crushes the statue, that it turns into the mountain, right? The mountain of assembly, the mountain of God, and it yeah. it stretches into the whole earth, and no one has to search for where God dwells anymore. It it goes to everyone, and it fills the entire earth. It's a really good point because the mountain doesn't just represent physical geography. There are nations geographically that are separate from one another. It it represents not only a physical place but cosmological. This is this is Eden back. Eden right. according to Ezekiel twenty eight is on a mountain. The garden of God is is, you know, on that mountain. And it harkens back to that desire for Eden, right? That it somehow still even in, in this Babylonian exile, God makes it clear that his desire is to dwell with us yes. on the earth. Mm. And on the back end of that dream, you have Nebuchadnezzar giving the credit and glory to the God of the heavens. And he says, you know, there's no God that's like the God of Daniel. Daniel gets these promotions. And we're, we're highlighting in on Daniel as well. Because, you know, if you recall, Daniel is one of the princes of the land of Judah. He's, he's royalty from Judah. He's a part of the promised right. seed. He's serving here underneath Nebuchadnezzar. And God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream. Daniel got promoted. Everything's good. It seems like 
the nations might potentially be starting with Babylon to turn back somewhat to God. Because here, for all intents and purposes, the king of the world is bowing the knee to the Most High. He's at least acknowledged that that's where this dream comes from. Right. But the funny thing is, is his response to like <laughs> this interpretation and his response to this servant, right, this um, chosen seed, you know, playing that, that role of interpreter or mediator would be even a way uh, to say it. His response is in chapter 3, he builds... <laughs> an image. <laughs> mm. He took the dream a little bit too literally. He's <laughs> like, "Oh, God gave me a dream about a giant statue, so I'm just gonna build one. Let me just build one." Yeah. And you know what? The whole thing will be gold. Yeah, yeah. Not just the head, but the whole thing will be gold. And yeah, right. It's sixty cubits. A cubit could be like anywhere from eighteen inches to forty-five centimeters. So you're talking roughly like, you know, a foot and a half. Per cubit, so sixty. You do the math. This is not a little image. Yeah, yeah. This is big. It seems like really rebellious too, because I mean, it's in the face of this dream where God tells him that I'm going to use this stone cut without human hands, and it's going to fall on this image and break it to pieces. He decides I'm going to make a golden image that's a giant, and instead of, you know, giving the credit like he had previously done to the most high God, mm. I'm just going to make everybody bow down to my image. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because God has never been in the image building business. I mean, you would recall, you know, going through the Ten Commandments, it says, <laughs> yeah. you shall not make unto yourself any graven image, right. whether of, you know, man, you know, or of anything on earth, in heaven. You know, anything in heaven, right? But you would think that after this dream, Babel, it, that Nebuchadnezzar would not be amazed at the head of gold, but the thing that he would be amazed at would be the stone that not only crushed the head of gold so that there was no memory of it, but it crushed all of the statues so that there was no memory of it. So this last kingdom that comes that's brought in by this stone is the great kingdom. Yeah. But Nebuchadnezzar's response, like you said, verse 2 says... He sent to gather the satraps, the the prefects, the governors, the counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of that image. So <laughs> this is like a sour point where you would think, sure, if you were going to gather anybody, you would gather them and say, let me tell you about this dream that the Most High God gave me. Let it, me tell you about this last kingdom that will come. It's like Babylon is going back to Babylon. Babel or Babel, you yeah. know, it's like it's like a return because the, we we read where this mountain's supposed to fill up all the nations. Well, his idea is instead, I'm going to make an image of me, and I'm going to make all the nations mm-hmm. come and bow before this image. He even says that, and in, in chapter two, uh, verse four, he says, "You are commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, whatever that word is, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up." So right there, tongues, nations, peoples, right? It's like trying to, to reverse the, 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 the division of Babel, but instead of being around the stone cut without human hands, it's around mm. the head of the image. Mm. Mm. And it's, yeah, and it's crazy because it reminds us of a particular thing that is made in it. There's an entity, let's just say this. It's made, and it's beautiful. And it's not just made of, like, 
precious stones, but it's made of of instruments of worship. Yeah. And and it exalts itself in its own heart and says, I'm going to set my throne in the high reaches of the north. It's a way to say, I'm going to exalt myself above God. My throne will be the most high. He even says it. He says, and I will exalt my throne above the stars. It's like that head that's in the heavens, right? It's it's that same type of attitude. It's that same, I don't know, demonic or, or satanic or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Attitude we see in, in King Nebuchadnezzar where it's like, I'm going to exalt. And, I mean, they're not ignorant of the context of, of, of what's being done here. They're not even ignorant of, like, the, the, the stone cut without human hands that becomes a mountain. That's and What's a mountain? It's a place of worship. Yeah. I mean, a ziggurat is, is a place of worship. The Tower of Babel, right, or Babel, however you say it. It's a, it's a <laughs> place of worship. It's a man-made mountain. audio book right there. That's Babel. Right. Babel. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they're not ignorant to that context. They yeah. know what that is. That That's... that's, that's you know, it's exalting the throne above the stars. It's the same thing that that Isaiah, you know, figure says that he's going to do in his own heart. Yeah, this figure that is described by Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, if you want to go check our work on that. And the thing that's interesting to point out to narratively speaking, that's kind of been our approach in this podcast so far, at least in this series. He says in verse 4, the herald proclaims, this is after all these you know, governors, satraps, all these officials are gathered. You commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. <laughs> so as soon as they hear this, they fall down and worship the image. And Nebuchadnezzar, in this sense, this is just jumping in here real quick, has made himself as God. Yeah. And funny enough, in Isaiah 14, the context of who the, the, the earthly king is being compared to Satan, this figure in Eden, that the king in view in Isaiah 14 is the king of Babylon. Yeah. And here we are, the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar II sets himself up as a god, makes this approximately 80-foot-tall golden image of, of his kingdom, right, the golden kingdom of his, and says, you'll worship me, not, not the mountain. You'll worship me every time you hear this, and if you don't, you're going to get cast into a fiery furnace. What Turn does that burn. sound like? Yeah. Turn yeah. or burn. <laughs> it sounds as if he is sitting himself in God's throne, metaphorically speaking, and saying, I'm the one who deals out life and death i'm the one that commands i'm i'm this object of worship mm. and so the this chapter ends with the story if you remember daniel had three friends that come with him into babylon of course they're not just like making a trip they're carried away captive red check and benny <laughs> yeah yeah and their names in babylonia shadrach meshach and abednego so then this next story um just to kind of sum it up you've got these three Hebrew men that are observed by other people that do worship the image, not yeah. worshiping the image. They're they're not just slaves either. They're set over provinces. Yeah, they're, they're some of these. They're people of authority that that the king has has taken from a, uh, their country and and set over provinces. Set over. They have responsibilities and they're in authority, 
And that's kind of the question is, what are you going to do? Because when you were in Israel, your people couldn't help, no matter where they went, bowing to another god. And it's like this is the, the, the moment, like, you don't have it. Yeah. If that's what you wanted, go to Babylon. And what are we going to do then? Well, you see these three loyal, you know, these chosen seed, these these followers of, of, of Yahweh, they're put in a position where it's it's almost like the same position that the Israelites were, were in at the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to fear? Are you going to fear Pharaoh and his horde? Are you going to fear the Babylonian king? Or are you going to fear Yahweh? Man, and the funny thing is for them, <laughs> you know, you think about the the context of this situation. Daniel's the one that got them promoted to these positions of of prominence. And th- at the end of chapter two, when Daniel interprets that dream, he makes a request to the king, and he says, "Hey, them them three buddies of mine, you know, give them a, give them a promo." Yeah. So they get a promo, and now that they're in the limelight. What happens? Mm. You know, there, there's an assault, right? And and the question for the faithful that is in exile is: Will you bow the knee to the kingdom of the serpent, or will you stay loyal? Well, as Trey pointed out, like, I mean, it seemed that those of Judah couldn't help but bow to idols when they were there, mm. but now it's kind of flipped, and you know, the, yeah, that's good. Judah's. Finally making the right choice, I suppose. Yeah, there's like a beautiful inverse of that. <laughs> You're here because you've, to quote the prophet, you've committed harlotry under every green tree. Like you've you've bowed to not just a few things. You'd be bound to everything, everything except for God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then here you are, and we get this beautiful. I love you know, the response. Reverse image. Yeah, he in, says. Sorry, go ahead. In, in verse 15, he says, now if you're ready, because he just, you know, God after him because he says, you don't serve my gods. You don't bow before my image. He says, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound, in other words, I'm going to try this again. When all of that music plays, fall down and worship the image that I have made, and all will be well and good. But if you do not worship, you will be immediately cast into that burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? That is a good question, Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Too bad yeah. you didn't read the histories, right? And so their answer to this, I, I, I love, it's it's so rebellious in, in the face of a tyrant. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't need to, but we're going to. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the image that you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with great fury, and the expression of his face was changed against them. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than it had ever been heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the furnace. Then the the men that were bound in their cloaks and tunics and their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace. We get this picture that this fire is so hot that these gibberim, these mighty men, who throw them in are killed mm. instantly by the heat of this furnace when he throws them in. Man. Yeah, the the ones not faithful to Yahweh perish in the flame. Whereas even in the midst of flame, the faithful of Yahweh are safe. Yeah, that's 
spoiler alert. <laughs> the 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 rest of the story is is the king gets up and in haste and he declares to his counselor, "Hey, did we not throw three Hebrews into that fire?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, yeah, Radshak and Benny, they're in there. They're <laughs> true, O king." He says, "Well, I see four men. They are unbound and walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods." Or in King James, like the Son of God, um, and I think that that's really kind of the point of this chapter for us in the series is this fourth man in the fire, this punishment that's imposed upon these these loyal worshippers of Yahweh. They get thrown into the worst possible circumstance, what seems like absolute death, and in the midst of that death, their God shows up and delivers them from it. But notice that it says that there's four men in the fire. And the fourth appearance is like that of the Son of God or like one of the sons of the gods. So we have here this God that, that Radshak and Benny, to shorten their names like the VeggieTales did, um, <laughs> Radshak and Benny's God is in the fire with him, but somehow he's still a man. He looks like a man, but he looks different than a man. And we have that same kind of, well, we talked about it in the Q&A. Q &A. We don't need to hash it out again. Yeah, yeah. So you have like the sweet end of the chapter where the king says, you know what? Anybody that speaks any word against the God of these three will be torn limb from limb. So he, he makes this like kingdom-wide proclamation following up the one he just made that was, hey, worship me, and if you don't, I'll kill you. <laughs> now his proclamation is, Worship the God of these three. Worship the God of Israel. Worship Yahweh, or I'll kill you. If you speak anything against him, I'll kill you. <laughs> Which is wild that that's even happening, yeah. Right. And out of all places where God's name would be magnified, right. it's in Babylon. And and you have this idea that, not, not that the Israelites and the people of Judah didn't bring God any glory in their homeland. They did. But some super notable story in history about how in, in the worst possible circumstance, God's name is magnified even in exile. Well, a lot of the prophets we've read thus far, I mean, talk all about God being glorified among the Gentiles. So yeah, a little bit of double prophecy there, I guess, but right. So the next chapter in Daniel chapter four you know, starts out with like King Nebuchadnezzar saying to all nations, peoples, and languages that dwell under the earth under him, you know, peace be multiplied to you, he says. Verse 2 says, It has seemed good to, to me to show the signs and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. There it is. You have this mountain being glorified, right? And Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream. Verse 4 says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, prospering in my palace. Everything's going good. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. So then the magicians, the enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers come in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Just jumping in here real quick. 
it seems like he still really doesn't get the point. Right. Because right. these guys didn't help you before. They're not going to help you now. Yeah. Yeah. The, not just the wise men won't help him, but, I mean, the way that he, he says, you know, the, at last came Daniel, who's named after my God. And, and you know, it's mm-hmm. like he still doesn't get that, yes, Yahweh is the most high, but he's the only one that needs worshipped. It's like almost like the India, like the Hindu move. Like he just added Yahweh to the catalog. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like, well, yeah, yeah, we'll worship. Yeah. yeah well, we, that, he says about Daniel, he says, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Yeah. So clearly. Yeah. He's not He's not getting it. He realizes that, that, that Daniel's God is the most high, but he's just kind of lumped him in with the catalog of all the other gods of Babylon. In the, in the vision that follows, just affirms that. He says, these are the visions in, in my head as I lay in bed with these. I saw, behold, a tree in the middle of the earth, and its height was great. Huh. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the end of the whole earth, and its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop the tree down and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from under its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of bronze and iron amidst the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the field. Let his mind be changed from a man's. Let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision of the words of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So jumping in here real quick, this this gets important because he recognizes First, that I think he should, or at least he should recognize that he's the tree, right? <laughs> right. Your kingdom is the tree. And it's interesting, he says, a watcher, right? And just for those who, who don't know it, in case we haven't covered it already, the, a watcher is going to be kind of like a cognate. It's going to be related um, in, in all these surrounding cultures. They're going to have a lot of things in common. And a watcher is going to be one of those things. And, and so just in the place of watcher, just put like, angel or like maybe even archangel right it's a, an authoritative governing body from heaven so and this particular one comes down and says hey let's lay the axe to this tree let's get rid of it it's become you know too big for its own good let's cut it down and what what's left binding the roots well it's iron and bronze right you know the, those are kind of some kingdoms that are going to be coming after in the in the dream of the the uh, image and I think that it's important to point out too that they even say this this sentence, this decree, they don't even say it's from God. They say this decree is from the watchers. 
Yeah, they they say it's a decree of the Most High. But from the Watchers. Yeah. So th- th- it's kind of like a deal where it just goes more into that divine council idea, whereas God, it seems to partner with or, you know, yeah. uh, allow certain governing bodies to make decisions. Right. And this decision is this king. Uh, yeah. He's he, He's got to be punished. So the, the gist of Daniel's interpretation is, uh, <laughs> like the way he says it, oh, king, let this not be for you. Let it be for your enemies. You know, it, it, so you get this idea already that Daniel's like, ah, man, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> but he gives him the interpretation, and it really reminds you a lot of Nathan with David. And he says, you're the tree. Your kingdom, God has established it, but you keep exalting yourself in pride. You're not small in your own eyes. You get that Saul flavor with him too. Yeah. And, you know, because of this, you know, this is this is the judgment and proclamation against you. And, and in verse 27, he even tries to counsel him on the end of that interpretation. He says, therefore, king... Let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that that perhaps there may may be a lengthening in your prosperity. And all this comes on Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29 says, at the end of 12 months, he's walking on the roof of his royal palace. You get the idea that he's walking out on this balcony and he sees this kingdom and he says, have I not built all this by my own mighty power? There it is. <laughs> yep. And it says in go. verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you will be driven among men. So this voice comes from heaven and he's driven out. And for seven years, he wanders in the wilderness like a wild beast. And at the end, and he's insane. Right, and at the end of this <laughs> the seven years, he's restored and he gets his kingdom back, and he says these words: "At the end of the days, I Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion; His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven." and among the inhabitants of earth. So none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So you get this end of King Nebuchadnezzar II's life where he gets the point, but it's hard-driven. So, yeah, according to, uh, you've heard it first at At The Table podcast, according to Trey, the first Bigfoot sighting was in Daniel chapter 5. I didn't say that. I said that he becomes a Bigfoot. I think Bigfoot could have been there beforehand. I did not say that. <laughs> Don't, Don't you, you dare know? say that I did. <laughs> no, but he does become Bigfoot, dude. His hair grows long like eagle's feathers. His, ta- his uh, nails grow out like talons, and he, he roams around the field like a beast, eating grass and whatever else he could find. And Man. Bigfoot, right? Long story short, uh, he's exalted himself a lot, and uh, God humbled him pretty a good. A lot. <laughs> yeah. He made him a pet dog, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he literally made him nuts. Yeah, good stuff. Bigfoot, love it. <laughs> anyway, Daniel Chap. I'm sure that after that, right, the next king, 
He should probably learn that lesson by now. Surely, yeah. I mean, if you watch somebody, I mean, literally eat grass like a cow, insane for a very predictable and prophesied period of time, <laughs> and then recuperate from that, uh, you know? Yeah. You surely. Would, yeah, surely. Yeah. No. Well, maybe not so much. Verse 1 of chapter 5 in Daniel has a king by the name of Belshazzar who makes a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. I just love how verse 1, jumping in here, starts this out with he he throws this great feast and he's drinking wine in front of a lot of people. It's not it's, a good recipe. Yeah, it's like he's setting you up for like, hold my drink. Watch me do this retarded thing. I'll do it again. I mean, you're doubling down on your ancestors' stupidity is kind of what I get a feeling is going on yeah. here. And, you know. <laughs> We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, give us a rating, review, and send this podcast over to a friend. If you want to contact us, email us at atthetablepodcastmail at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and any other podcasting platform. Ask us about merch, recommend topics or interviews, or just tell us what you think of the episode. Thank you for listening. Now, let's get back into the show. Yes, you, you kind of get like a paraphrased version of hold my drink and watch me do something stupid. Yeah, I'll do it again, right? I'll be <laughs> even more indignified than this. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. It's it's the poor decision-making well, I guess that was poor decision-making, too. I'm trying to find a way to put this delicately. That was the, yeah, it's just another version of Ray Boehm, right? When he's like, yo, you thought my father was rough? Check out what I do. My pinky finger will be bigger <laughs> than his loins. Oh, man. So, yeah, you have a king drinking wine in front of a thousand lords that he's throwing this oh, huge drink. feast for. Yeah. Yeah. And when he had tasted the wine. <laughs> So Something tells me this wasn't a pinky dip. <laughs> you know, like, so, oh, what an excellent bouquet. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, look, 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 look. Is that? What is Bill? What's Bill looks like? It was laid down by my father. Yeah. Very yeah. good year. Very good year. <laughs> so after he tastes his wine, this is the dumb thing. He commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, and the king, his lords, his wives, and his concubines can drink from them. Yeah, these are vessels that are consecrated to God. There's a specific <laughs> ritual that right. Yahweh commanded them to do. First of all, there were specific ways that they were to be built, to be made, and then they were consecrated to service to Yahweh in the temple. And I'm going to make an assumption here, but I feel like it's a well-placed assumption. If you can say, hey... um, you remember all those vessels that my dad, my daddy took away from that temple to the Most High God? He just praised after he was mentally insane for seven years because he blasphemed him. Yeah, big bring, bring those in here. You know, I'm guessing that 
you probably don't have these sitting in a pile somewhere in your basement. Right. Right. But right. these are set up as like a treasured item. And he's like, hey, go get them. Well, you <laughs> almost, it's almost like Nebuchadnezzar respected them. Yeah. You and would think. here he's like. Surely. Well, he says that he, he drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood and stone. Like, not the god who made your daddy Bigfoot for seven periods of time. So you, you're going <laughs> to hear it on At the Table podcast. Drinking excess amounts of wine can potentially lead to dangerous side effects, such as worshiping gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone and doing other things that might be a, a, with a corresponding level of stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong with an old-fashioned? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little taste of the bubbly. So this is such a trippy story, right? Verse 5 says, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw as the, saw the hand as it wrote, and the, and the, yeah, it's, it's funny you mention that because it says the king's color changed. Like, Can we get another with him, Creek? Man, come on now. That ain't no hey. That that wine thing would have been the perfect time for a tasty beverage. Tasty beverage. Uh, okay. Actually, don't make me equal with doing that. I'd prefer to. Yeah, that was old Nebbage. Thank you for saving me. You're my guy. Anyway. So he sees this hand right and he's knocked together. Bro, he's shook. Like he's absolutely <laughs> he's shook. Die out. And let's be real, you'd be shook. Like if you're if you're like drinking, you know, that would kill a buzz, right? Yeah. There. You're drinking wine out of consecrated items from a Where's god that oh. your dad just said is the most yeah. high. And then saying still oh, think, these, gonna, look at these iron gods and gold gods and then uh They're so great. They're amazing. And then this hand freaking appears on the wall. And you're watching this hand you know, right on the wall. like You could hear a pin drop, and it's like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like horrible. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm getting nervous so, just laughing about it. So he shook, man. Verse 7 says, The king called loudly, bringing them enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers again. You know what? Shout out to you guys because you show up for work and never actually do anything. Yeah, <laughs> what a comfortable job! You the only well, twice in your entire comfortable because some of them hey died. twice in your you had twice in your whole career. It's like the king's like, yeah, I I finally need you to do something. Oh, we can't do that. Yeah, yeah. you're about as useful as a screen door on a submarine. <laughs> I mean, we like, can't even guess. Yeah, y'all get yeah. They're not comfortable. I'm with Creek. When you get your life threatened for being unproductive, that's not very comfortable. Anyway. So he calls them in, and the king declared to them, to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation will be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and will be the third ruler in the kingdom. Mm. Then all the king's wise men come in, but they couldn't read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. So the king was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords are perplexed. Funny enough, this feast had the opposite effect of what you wanted. Yeah. Now, not only are you shook, but your lords are shook, and everybody you were looking to impress is shook, and there ain't no answer. Man. The, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and declared, O king, live forever. Don't let your thoughts alarm you or your color change. 
There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Jump it in here. I'm just going to take this as they don't really get it either. And things are probably going to turn out just as bad as they did for the last guy that said don't, that. Don't worry. There's holy God's spirit Daniel's in Daniel's going to give you a good interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> he never says anything good about me. It's only evil. Can't imagine why. So she says, Yo, there's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods is. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And Nebuchadnezzar, your father... Your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel. <laughs> if Daniel was chief of these people, what do you think he did with them? Man. The astrologers. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, you guys can Why just Why don't you chill, just go I play guess. with a yo-yo <laughs> 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 Why don't you play some more star trivia? I mean, that's the only thing. Yeah, you can I'm do. just gonna look in the. T- Which one's the Pleiades? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she says, "Let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation." I'll let Daniel, like your daddy used to. It'll work fine. Mm. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, "You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah." Kind of funny, yeah. None other. So it's it's like, like disrespectful, like, yeah. oh, you're one of those exiles. I wonder if he's holding one of those cups in his hand right now. I doubt it. That. I doubt it. Surely he said the intelligence to put it down. You are Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I've heard the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men enchanters have been brought before me to read the writing and make known to me its interpretation. But uh, as you well know, cutting in here, they don't ever seem to be capable of doing that. No. <laughs> but I have heard that you can give interpretations <laughs> and solve problems. You should just do the solid, Daniel. I'll make you third ruler in the kingdom. This has to be like <laughs> the third time he's been <laughs> third ruler in the kingdom. I'm pretty sure that Daniel took one look at those words and thought, yeah... That's probably not going to be a job that lasts very long. Yeah, he says you can you can have this you know clothes, <laughs> clothes of purple, chain of gold around your neck. You'll be third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered, "Keep it before, yeah, keep your gifts. They're for you." He said, "Let them pass to another. Yeah. <laughs> I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation." O king, the most high God gave your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty, and because of the greatness that he gave him, all the peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he killed, and whom he would he kept alive. Whom he would he raised up, and whom he would he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of man, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was like wild donkeys. And you, skipping down a little bit, Belshazzar. and you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, Though you knew all of this, you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels that you have brought in before you from his house, and you and your lords and your wives and concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and who <laughs> all, whose are all of your ways, you have not honored. Man. He said that the one... Whom holds your breath, you didn't honor him. 
Yeah, you get the feeling that this is the part where you get told the dumb thing you did. Yeah. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And parson, or peris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So, remember that uh, offer you gave me about employee? employment as third ruler in the kingdom. It's going to be pretty short. That's going to be a pretty short job for whoever gets it. Verse 30 says that very night, after he got all that purple and gold chain and everything, that very night Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being 62 years old. Correct me if I'm wrong, John. Maybe you know, but doesn't he actually get cooed from within his his city? Yeah. His own people kill him, basically, and invite the rulership of, of the Medes and the Persians. There's actually, like, a an old Babylonian text found that says that he was killed. Like, he, he was drew his sword to fight, and they killed him. It was probably, yeah, he probably pulled his sword right out then. He's like, which one of you is it? Man. And then the magician stabbed him in the back. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, I read the writing, dog. It ain't going to work. <laughs> he gone. The Lord has never spoken through me if you return home alive. Man, dude. So the, the the cruddy part for Daniel is it feels like every time there's some sort of solidifying, you're in a groove. Now the leader knows what's what's up, right? He knows who's God. He knows who's not. There's a change in leadership, which also brings about a test for you and your buddies. And so now we have Darius the Mede. And in Daniel chapter 6, it pleases him to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be through the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one. So it sounds cool. like he's still in a pretty good spot. To whom these satraps should give accounts so the king may suffer no loss, then this Daniel became distinguished above all of the others. So Daniel's like the guy. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps found sought to find ground for a complaint against Daniel with the kingdom. Just jumping in here. You would think if anybody's plotting on this brother to get him out the picture, it'd be them astronomers, astrologers, sorcerers, diviners, <laughs> and Chaldeans, you know, because they can't do nothing. But on the other hand, you would think they would be grateful because he saved their neck, right? <laughs> so, Sometimes. Anyway, you have Daniel risen to this prominent position by Darius, and people around him can't stand it. So just summarizing a lot of the story, they plot on him, and this is their plot. They can't find anything against him because he's not a crooked dude. So they came by agreement to the king in verse 6 and say, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, and counselors, and governors are agreed that they, all of them, really, they're all agreed? Huh. They're all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except for you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. There's one key guy here, probably the only key guy that has a problem with this. If Red Jack and Benny are around, they're probably not down with it either. Yeah, so there's at least four guys that, yeah, they're not with it, and they're not being included in this, hey, we all got together, trust me, and we all say that this is what should happen. Hmm. So the king, you know, has a chance. He's tested in an area of pride, too. 
But the king hasn't seen what Nebuchadnezzar has seen. So, o king, establish the injunction, sign the document, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So you've got this idea just cut in here. It sounds weird for an American political system or a Western context, but once anything was signed into law for the Medes and the Persians, it's it. There's no revoking it. You can't take that law away. You can legislate new law, but you can't take the old one away. Therefore, King Darius signs the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and three times a day prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And these guys know where to find him. So jumping in Catch here. Catch me inside. Yeah. How about that? How about that? Praying three times a day to this same God, and it's not going to get any different. So predictably, you know, it's funny, they, they, they only need 30 days too, right? Just for 30 days, let this be the case. They just happen to be strolling by his house. And they see Daniel of the faithful seed of Judah. <laughs> happen to be. Happens to be praying in his window facing Jerusalem towards the east. So they said, hey, king, you remember that injunction? Anyone that makes petition to any god or man except for you. The king answered and said, yeah, yeah, it stands fast. It's according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians. We're good to go. We already, we already did all that. They say, they answered the king and say, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, you're uh, one of your three guys that you intend to set over all the kingdom. He doesn't pay any attention to you. And he makes injunctions to another god three times a day. They yeah. tried to, to paint Daniel as this high-handed rebel to the king. Right, and he's like 80 years old at this point. <laughs> He wasn't. He, he was so old he couldn't go back to Jerusalem. Like, leave him alone, like, dude. Yeah, he's say like he's just proved himself so many times. But just remember right. too that number three. It's like the test, right? Yeah. What are you gonna do? True. You know, and and Daniel passes the test, but sometimes passing the test means that the consequences aren't so good. So, but this has the opposite effect. You can tell. Verse fourteen says the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Yep. And he sent his mind to deliver Daniel. So just jumping in, he's not so like enth- enthralled with himself and engulfed in his own pride that he's like, oh, yeah, well, chuck him. He's trying to think, okay, I can't revoke this law. It's sitting here forever. What can I do? What can I do to save my guy? This should be the first indication to these guys. No matter what happens to Daniel, it's not going to be good with you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a new job for you guys. So I need you to go down there and clean up. Yeah, you're uh, you're going to be grooming the lions today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man. So this story ends with, you know, <laughs> these men come to the king, and they say, hey, they just remind him, like, yo, you know, you know how the law works, man. It just can't be undone. There's just nothing you can do about it. I guess you're going to have to chuck him. So he commands, and the king declared to Daniel, when he cast him into the den of the lions, he said, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you this is the first time that another king is almost trying to be an intercessor for a person of judah to god he says this god that you risked your neck to because you were going to die like you knew this agreement you knew this thing that was signed and three times a day you prayed daniel i hope he delivers you i hope he is faithful to you 
And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and so that it could not be changed. And the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Right in verse nineteen, it continues, but just pausing for a moment, like that this this king of this pagan nation, for, for on Daniel's behalf, enters into fasting. Right, man, he, he's heartbroken over what's happened. In verse 19, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. Then the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, king, I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Just pausing. I mean, obviously, I want the audience to keep in mind the stone being rolled over the, the mouth of you know the den and, and the, the righteous, right, the faithful being been inside that. And even that being connected to certain death. But I think that it, like the moment that Darius comes to this king and he's just... It, you 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 hear the desperation in his voice where he cries out like he, he's been fasting all night he hasn't been eating right he's proclaimed this hope in in this God that Daniel serves and I don't know what drove him to the mouth of that lion's den the next day but there had to have been something in him to see like did it work mm. maybe he heard something from you know the previous administration or or, or something you know that hey this this God of Daniel's is the real deal. Either way, whatever it was, it compelled him to go and to check. And to his astonishment, right, Daniel answers back, says, I was blameless before you and I was blameless before God. And his angel, right, that the angel came and shut the, the mouth of the, in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows that he's, and it's such a beautiful reversal. This Dan has a stone rolled over the top of it. I don't know, it, it, it just kind of brings this matrix of ideas to mind that this is essentially like a tomb. The thing that is meant to be your death when the serpents conspire to kill you, but God finds you blameless. Yeah, You know, that the curse will be reversed on the one that sought to murder you without cause. Yeah. And if that's not... Just the central focal point of hope of the exile. Yeah. And what is? The hope is that, it, you know, like we started off this episode, that the chosen seed is constantly under siege by the, a serpent from somewhere. And as soon as you kill one, it's almost like a hydra. Two heads spring up from its place. Yeah. And there's more and more and more and more and more. And they conspire to kill this beacon of light to the nations. But darkness can't overcome it. And he makes again this proclamation on behalf of, of the God of Daniel. Says, After killing those, yeah. those, those wicked men, he throws exactly. them in, and instantly they are devoured and their bones are broken into pieces. But not just them, their wives and their children too. Man, justice. So the last part of Daniel that we're going to hit, at least for this portion of the series, is in chapter 7. There's a lot of content in Daniel chapter 8 through 12, 
and it really gets us into some prophecy stuff. But we're going to save that maybe for like a topical episode sometime, or if anyone ever chimes in with a Q and A question on this stuff, then then we'll do it there. But it's it's pretty dense stuff, and it it doesn't, um, you know, doesn't contribute a ton specifically to what we're going to think. So, or, or what we're going to be covering in the series. So, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 7. So, this skips back and harkens back to the time of Belshazzar. This is that king that got usurped by Darius the Mede after the whole writing on the wall thing. So, during the first year of Belshazzar's reign, Daniel has a dream. So, we've switched to from first Nebuchadnezzar the second has a dream and then another dream. And this dream that's going to be um, made known to Daniel is a dream of his own. So Yahweh is now showing Daniel what he's going to do. He wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, behold, the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four great beasts came up out of that sea, different one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings, and as I looked, its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and was told to rise and devour much flesh. After this I looked and beheld another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and great dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and beheld a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth and devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all of the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns and beheld there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which the three before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots and beheld in its horn were the eyes of the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So Daniel's got some trippy visions in the night. Good night. We're not so much going to be concerned with the interpretation of that, but listen to what follows. He says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and the clothing was white as snow the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve him His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom will not be destroyed. So this last portion of what we have in terms of revelation for Daniel chapter 7 that I just wanted to cover, this language, when we get to our snake crusher, will be purposed a lot. One like a son of man. 
And this one that is like a son of man has this everlasting dominion that goes from generation to generation. It never ends. There's no check, no challenges. All of the people, all of the nations, all the Gentiles serve him. This, this one like the son of man is, is also like the mountain, this stone that's not cut with human hands that breaks and destroys all of these other things. And in this, there's these beasts that are obviously representations of entities and kingdoms, right? And at their destruction, it, it, there is hailed and told for us to expect a king, one like the Son of Man, who is enthroned with the Ancient of Days. God will come and be king. Yeah. This same one that we have read in all of these stories of Daniel saying, every king eventually bows the knee and they say, his is the dominion that lasts forever. His is the dominion that's not checked and challenged. All peoples of the nations that serve them, Darius will decree. Everybody that's under my kingdom serves him. And the last thing that we're covering in Daniel shows him having that realized. This son of man, this mountain that fills up the whole earth, has all of the earth serving him at the judgment of these challenging entities. It seems like that for the majority of our series it's been it has been centered around the seed of the woman right of of humankind and then it, it almost takes a shift especially in Daniel to where it seems like well it's it's not really a man it's a mountain it's it's a divine thing it's it's something from heaven and we're given all this imagery but then it kind of switches back it's like yeah but the mountain it's also a son of man and that son of man is going to be presented before the ancient of days mm. in front of the holy court, in front of all of the divine assembly. And God is going to give all glory, dominion, and kingdom to this son of man. Man. In front of everybody. Everybody that matters. And so it, it's kind of like, well, who can that man be? I mean, how, how do we get there? I mean, Daniel's given this vision in the middle of exile in Babylon where it seems like the, the the righteous remnant has been all but destroyed. I mean, but yet still God gives this vision of, like, hope. Like, the future is set. This is the vision. This is what's going to happen. And it's amazing that you say that, because the very last part of the episode that I wanted to cover was Haggai 1 and 2. We're not, we're not going to read it, but just to summarize it, it's a very short prophet. Uh, uh, book of the prophet it introduces to us a figure by the name of Zerubbabel whose name means um, begotten in Babylon it reaffirms that idea like you said of here we are in the exile we've had Daniel who's one of the princes but he's he's a eunuch yeah. in God's court the princes of Judah the, the seed line seems to you know not be in great shape <laughs> but this guy Zerubbabel is the son of Shetiel, the son of Jeconiah. The seed's been preserved. Yeah, The seed is alive and well. And Haggai tells us this guy becomes governor in Judah. Yeah. So in our next episode, we'll explore a little bit more of that. It's almost like God keeps one in his back pocket. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, Daniel, yeah, Radshak and Benny. They're serving me over there faithfully, and the, you know, bad things have happened, but I've preserved them. But I got always a rubber in the back pocket. 
Right. You know, just just waiting. And while, you know, that's the, kind of the cool part is Daniel, ten, you know, it focuses on what's going on in Babylon. And for anybody in our day and age, if if you feel like that, you know, we live life in exile, I mean, I guess that that's something to remember too because it's important that we're faithful in Babylon, right? Live a life that glorifies God and, and do what you can to image him. And the the seed, the righteous seed, the chosen king, right? Even today, we, we still look forward with the same hope saying and knowing in our hearts that the, the chosen king is coming. And I like that the first time we get the last half of his name, Babel, it talks about like confusion because there the tongues were confused. So you have this seed preserved in the midst of confusion. Yeah, born in confusion. But this is the this is the avenue, right? This is the this is the line. Well, um, I think yep. that yeah, I think that it concludes uh, the, this episode of the Snake Crusher series. Um, again, as always, a, a big thank you to all of our listeners who take this journey with us. Um, we love you. And we pray that you this finds you blessed. Um, but for all intents and purposes, Godspeed. Later. Catch you later. This is Pastor Kevin O'Connor, and you're listening to At the Table Podcast. This is Dylan from Jamaica, and you're listening to At the Table Podcast. Hello, this is Dr. Kent Hovind of Dinosaur Adventureland, and with the At the Table Podcast. Hey, this is Savannah Donaldson, and you're listening to At the Table Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of At the Table Podcast. We hope it blessed you, and we hope it taught you something. Until next time, thank you so much, and God bless.